I'm really excited about next week. Uh, to, yes, to share, to share our prayers, to contribute, to be part of that. But uh, also we've got Andrew Haslam, who, who leads a church in Waterloo, London, uh, a significant church there. And if you know anything about London, it's a very difficult place to, uh, to see a significant church uh, birthed and established and grow. And he's doing an outstanding job. He's going to be preaching next week. So I'm thrilled. He's got a lovely beard. Um, so, I mean, I, I have a bit of beard envy. I won't lie to you. Um, but he's just a fantastic dude and preacher, and uh, we're really spoilt to have him with us. Um, last thing I want to say about kids is, um, is uh, you don't have to teach to be a part of kids' ministry if that's what you're afraid of. It can be a bit of like crowd control, damage control, uh, just being a part of the fun and all of that. It's brilliant to be a part of. Anyway. Okay, as Mike said, uh, we launched a series today called This Is Us, and I'm so excited uh, to be able to share uh, part of this series. I've um, been putting it together since last year already, and I'm thrilled. This Is Us is going to speak to our core values as a church, the things that shape us. And, and what we're going to do in this series that's going um, that, to be, I think, particularly helpful, but also sharpening for us, is we want to... We want to clarify who we are, but not just saying who we are, in contrast to the culture and the world in which we live as well. Sometimes it's, it's, it's critical to know not just what something is, but to know what something is not. Because in a world where everything is kind of blurred and fudged and kind of goes together, we need to know as Christ followers what makes us distinct um, as a people, as a church, as Common Ground South Penn. What makes us distinct? As next Sunday is not just our birthday. Don't show this. If you're online, you're not allowed to share this with your friends. But jokingly, we're calling it also our Independence Day because Common Ground is unbundling and becoming non-autonomous individual congregations. Although incredibly linked and partnering together, we step into the next iteration, if you will, of togetherness, which is a more of a local emphasis in our congregation, which we're thrilled about. Um, but it becomes even more critical that the things that the stuff that makes us us is core and central to who we are. Today we're grappling with the question of the gospel. How does the gospel shape us? How does the gospel define us as a people? We're going to look at our gospel identity and how we live in light of the gospel. We're going to, we're going to be making four points today. We're going to look at defining the gospel and then how we are gospel defined as a people. We're gospel aligned as a people and as a church. And we're gospel assigned. Defining the gospel, gospel defined, gospel aligned, and gospel assigned. Uh, let's start by asking this question. And don't answer out loud. What is the gospel? Imagine we were to pass around sticky notes today and I was to ask every one of us to write down our answer to the question. What is the gospel? I put to you... Uh, I'm sure many of us would, 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 would nail it, but, but we'd get a lot of variety of different answers. I think we might find answers like the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is the gospel of grace. It's forgiveness of sin. Maybe it's the gospel of, of um, full life, um, life to the full. Maybe the gospel of liberation, the gospel of oppression. There are many different answers and different versions we might hear of the gospel. Uh, I'll put to you today that it's possible that we've become a little bit fuzzy about what the gospel is, especially in the last two years. In the last two years of COVID, uh, COVID has radically impacted church life. It's impacted all of our lives as Christ followers. We've spent probably many of us more time on social media, mainstream media, Netflix, Hollywood, etc., etc. Maybe a little bit more the last two years than normal. These platforms are constantly shaping us, sharing with us versions of the truth. Other gospels, gospels to believe 
gospels to be received, gospels that uh, put together messages which then infiltrate how we think, and they infiltrate our understanding of the truth. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to, a beautiful picture today actually, be refined, to have these other bits that creep into the real thing burnt away in order that the true thing remains and shines in our lives. So that's what today is all about. We are called to be, as common grounded as Christ followers, a distinct people in all the earth to display who God is to our community. And so we need to know what uh, makes us distinct. Today, as we look at This Is Us, we look at week one, gospel defined. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, as we look at gospel defined, gospel aligned, gospel assigned, and we start by defining the gospel as well. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 10. Let's jump in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, for all eternity, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, as we, we look at your gospel today, in a world that is constantly preaching other gospels to us, other versions of salvation, other versions to, of, of a truth story to form an, our, our identity, God, would you show us today your truth? Show us the gospel in clarity that we would be able to be a people of conviction in an age where everything seems to be compromised. Sharpen us around your truth, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Point number one, and just so you know, defining the gospel, uh, gospel defined, these are the larger points, and then we'll be a little bit more swift through these. So if you start to get nervous about the time in these ones, don't worry. We're going to make up for it over here. But let's jump in. Number one, uh, defining the gospel. But let's start by asking the question, not what is the gospel, what the gospel is not. And I want to look at two gospels that are prolific. The first one, I think, creeps into the church. The second one is all over our world and is creeping in a recent way into the church as well. In order to know what the gospel is, we need to know what the gospel isn't so we can see how it's distinct. And so the first gospel, just to contrast with, is the gospel of good works. The gospel of good works. Since, since the fall, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, have a disposition. Every human being has a disposition to try and save ourselves through our own efforts. The idea being, if I can just do enough good things, then God will have to accept me. 
If I can just clean up my life enough, if I can just have more good things than the bad things in my life, then hopefully they'll outweigh them and I'll be kind of on the scales positive and then God will have to receive me and take me in. And versions of this creep into the church, creep into all facets of society. They echo in many different faiths and religions as well. If I can really clean up my life enough, If I can just show I've been sorry enough for the bad things, and if I can do enough good things, then God will take me in. And this can manifest in personal piety. It can manifest in philanthropy, in morality, in religious efforts to get to God. But essentially, the gospel of good works is about ladder climbing through effort and works in order to get to God. Here's the thing. You're always insecure because you're never sure you've done enough. You're always comparing yourself horizontally to other people to just know where you kind of fit in. Because if, you, if you're sort of in the, the, the good part of the pile, you know, then you, then you feel a lot more secure than the bad part. And it breeds all sorts of insecurity and pride. And deep down, you know, it's exhausting. And I want to say to you today, it is not the Christian gospel. Spend a bit more time on this one, the gospel of the good life. The gospel of the good life. Probably more recent. Um, I think born actually a lot of, out of privilege. We're the most privileged generation to ever live in the planet, uh, certainly uh, some of us. And, and, uh, and uh, this kind of privilege and wealth of modern society has birthed the gospel of the good life, which is a, which is a salvation is about kind of progressing in life toward a vision of what the good life is. Now, each of us has our own version of the good life that we create and, and we esteem to, but it's essentially a vision of independence and success. And that, that if I achieve this independence and if I achieve this success, then I will be happy. Cape Town whispers to us the good news of the good life, of self-fulfillment, of success, of power, of wealth, of autonomy. You can be saved. You can be saved from the rat race to a paradise of natural beauty where you can surf and enjoy life together with your friends and your family, where you can live in a home protected and insulated from crime, where you can travel when and where you like. And when you find this life, then you will be happy. You will have meaning. You will have significance. And so work hard, get educated, make wise decisions, and you'll be able to keep progressing through life until you find the good life. And you'll be saved from danger and insignificance and loneliness and boredom and meaningless. Doesn't it sound so good? And, and, and after all, doesn't Jesus want me to be happy? This kind of thinking gets into the church. I hope I'm getting under your skin a bit. I mean, isn't God, God it gets into the church. God is love. Yeah, we're mostly as human beings okay, I suppose. The purpose of life is about finding my happiness. Jesus wants to be my friend and to help me to be happy. And yeah, I suppose we should try and be good with our lives. This is not the Christian gospel. There was a survey done in America by a guy named Christian Smith. I don't know if that's his real name or if it's just his pseudonym that he did the survey under because Christian Smith just seems super, um, I don't know, like like, like a a, a way to stay anonymous for like a Christian dude doing surveys. Um, (laughs) 
Anyway, um, and, and, and he interviewed 3,000 young people in America, admittedly in America, um, but, but certainly does have massive relevance to us today as well. And he asked American adolescents around faith and belief. And, and, and through the survey, there were five pillars of truth that emerged to this kind of modern good life belief system, gospel that is believed. And these are the five pillars. I think we've got them up here as well on the screen. Uh, God exists. Very, no name, no father. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. I mean, there's certainly so many elements of truth. You can see where they derive from. You can see how we get there, etc. But this kind of thinking becomes part of who we as a church. I want to say, as we transition from the gospel of good works, the gospel of the good life, to actually defining, we've looked at what the gospel is not, what the gospel is, defining the gospel. This is the gospel that defines us as a church. I'm quoting from John Tyson and Susie Silk. This is just a great version of, uh, where they articulate the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God, God our Father, the Creator, out of great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our, on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. I wonder if we can leave that up there, Angie. Just I, I, you know, leave those words up there. There's a lot to take in. I want to really unpack some of these phrases as we go. So as long as uh, we can on this one, just leave these words up here. It's more important you see these words than that face. Uh, anyway, okay, let's look at the gospel. Uh, the gospel, number one, the first thing we see there is the gospel is good news. Do you see that? The gospel is good news. It's good news. The Greek word euvangelion uh, actually translates literally gospel equals good news. It's a political announcement of something that a king has done or achieved. That's what a gospel is. It's a political announcement of what a king has. It would be, imagine, imagine in the, in, long before TV and all of that, or, or even now in TV, uh, you're watching your, your, your episode and then all your TV screens, you know, go to one message in every home, in every house, right? And it says, this is an announcement, and the, and the president gives an address. You know, that's, that's a gospel. It's a good news announcement. Uh, in those days, it would be if a king had won a war, they would send ahead on horseback with, chari with chariots and with trumpets and flags, heralds who would come and they would announce the battle against these people has been won. The king is victorious. It was gospel is an announcement of an historical fact that has taken place. It's a news feed. This has been achieved. No one invented the gospel. No one has reasoned through it. No one created it through wisdom or philosophy. The gospel is a political announcement. It's why the original Christians got in so much trouble when they proclaimed, Jesus is the Lord of the earth. It's a political statement of good news that is done. The second thing we see there, the gospel is about rescuing the lost. The gospel is about rescuing the lost. We use this word lost, I still, we still, some of us, cr we cringe. We don't, we don't talk like that anymore, do we? It's offensive. It's, the gospel is about rescuing the lost. Read this, read Paul's explanation here, verse 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, this kind of this evil force at work in our world, shaping the way society functions and people live, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, enemies of God like the rest of mankind. Outside of rescue from God, human beings, the gospel says, are lost. Sin is not just something we do, but sin is something that is alive within us, is something alive within us, shaping us. Uh, Because of sin in us and sin through us, we are spiritually dead to God. Paul goes on further to explain that there is an evil force that is at work in our world and it influences uh, the the lives of of our very beings, even our desires. Some of us cringe when I use this language lost because it is offensive but just scroll through your news 24 feed think of the last 12 months the looting the riots the 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 racial violence the political scandals that characterize a society and then when you you realize that those those things are symptoms of 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 worldviews of of shaping currents that are at work in our culture and our world shaping the lives of us who live in the city. Outside of Christ, we are lost. And it's deeper than just our news feed. Listen to the words of the late David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace was an atheist who eventually he took his own life, but he was an outstanding mind, and he articulated the culture in which he lived so well. This is what Foster Wallace says. Now, admittedly, again, American reference, just a great thinker who articulated so well, but so much of this speaks to our South African context as well. He says this, thinking of lostness. There's something particularly sad about it, something that doesn't have very much to do with physical circumstances or the economy or any of the stuff that gets talked about in the news. It's much more like a stomach-level sadness. I see it in myself and in my friends in different ways. It manifests itself as a kind of lostness. A real sadness. I was white, upper, class, upper middle class, obscenely well educated. I had way more career success than I could have legitimately hoped for. I had the good life, basically, is saying. And yet I was sort of adrift. A lot of my friends were the same way. Some of them were deeply into drugs. Others were, into, uh, were unbelievable workaholics. You could see it played out in 20 different ways, but it's the same thing. He says, I get the feeling a lot of us, as we enter into our 30s, have to find a way to put away childish things and confront the stuff about spirituality and values. He's articulating a brokenness that is at work and and, and evidenced in the lives of human beings. We're all broken and we're all unable to fix ourselves. The Bible uses a word for this. There's a lostness that is true to every single person. And as a church, we have to be clear about this. This is so different than the gospel of the good life, which says, yeah, we're all sort of okay, you know, and maybe sometimes we need to dip into God a little bit when we need help on our mission, etc., etc. No, the Bible is clear. Outside of God, our plight is hopeless. But, the next point of the gospel, but the gospel is about God and what God has done. 
But God, verse 4 through to 8, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you and I brought nothing to the story. We were, we were outside. We were dead in our trespasses. Yet God, because he's loving, because he's so good, he made us alive together with him in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated him with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You who were dead in your transgressions, were placed into Christ as if when Jesus lived his life on earth, it was you living your life on earth. As, as if when Jesus died, you died. As if when Jesus was raised to, to new life, you were raised to new life. He did it on your behalf so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. The gospel is the gospel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to accomplish and apply God's salvation plan for us. He broke the power of sin. He, he made us spiritually alive again. He did it all. There are no human works done by human beings outside of Christ in the gospel. It is completely God's work. Did you ever watch a movie called The Pink Panther? Not the original one, um, but, but the Steve Martin, Emily Mortimer, and Jean Reno one. I don't know if you saw Inspector Clouseau. There's this one scene where Inspector Clouseau and Jean Reno, his like, helper person, uh, his friend, are in a room, and they are fighting 10 baddies, right? I don't know if you remember the scene. And Clouseau, who is hopeless, begins posing and doing his fighting, gets wrapped up in the curtain. All the while, Jean Renault is kicking butt, right? And Jean Renault takes out 10 guys while Clouseau does not make contact with a single person. At which point Clouseau turns to Jean Renault and says, we sure showed those guys, didn't we? <laughs> this is the gospel. You and I are Clouseau. Christ did it all. But we sure showed those guys. <laughs> Jesus bore the punishment for our sin, giving us salvation as a gift. And when you trust through Christ, his work becomes your standing and position before God for all eternity. The gospel, moving a bit more swiftly now, the gospel is holistic in its scope. It includes individual salvation. It includes reconciliation between us and God. It includes reconciliation between human beings and one another. Ultimately, it includes the, the restoration and renewal of all creation. It is salvation from sin, from evil, from death, from the consequences of sin, and from eternal separation from God. The gospel is the gospel of God's kingdom. The ultimate goal of the gospel is seeing the lordship of Jesus established in all of life, in all of society, and into all of eternity. The gospel is entrusted to us, us as Christians, but hey, let's be more clear there, into us as common grounders in South Penn. We get to partner with God in living this out, enjoying the gospel and sharing the good news with others. The gospel, last two, is animated by the Holy Spirit's power the gospel, uh, salvation isn't dependent upon human wisdom. It's not about figuring it out. It's not about morality, the best, get in. It's not about how gifted you are, your philosophy that you come in. It's not about your strategy. The gospel is animated to us as human beings by the work of the Holy Spirit who puts faith in our hearts to open our eyes to see the truth of who God is. And he makes us alive. 
It is, the gospel comes from God, is accomplished by God, and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the last point on the gospel, the gospel is a gospel of love. It reveals God's desire to redeem people for himself. A people for himself, a people who love him and reflect his goodness and glory to the world, who will enjoy him forever. The gospel. It's not the gospel of good works. It's not the gospel of the good life. And hey, it's a little bit uncomfortable to realize how quickly that gets incorporated into our hearts as human beings. Yet it is the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. And it is profoundly beautiful. We've defined the gospel Second question. Okay, or well, second point. What is that? Okay, totally aside. We've tried everything and we can't sort that, sort that beeping out. Okay, cool. We're in. Hey, good day to watch online. Just kidding, just kidding. Wasn't worship extraordinary? Gosh, to, to hear the sound one of the things of being in this kind of venue in this way is it forced us to reduce and downscale massively because to neighbors because it's not the perfect auditorium for absorbing sound all of those we're smaller in the midst of that we, we, I think we're better hearing one another's voices as we sing aren't we to hear your voices in worship my heart is lifted by my brothers and sisters in Christ as we sing together and God is doing something in that it is beautiful and anyway, I, wanted, I didn't want to miss a moment. We've done defining the gospel. Let's look at defined by the gospel. Defined by the gospel. Point number two. We have an identity as Christ followers that is defined by the gospel. The gospel is our defining belief as human beings, as Christians, sorry. Uh, it's, it's our core belief. And as such, it forms our identity as Christ followers. Every human being has an identity. Everyone has an identity. It's a sense of self. A sense of self that gives us meaning, that gives us value. And these identities that we have, or this identity we have, is formed by our core uh, belief and experiences. For Christ followers, your core belief and experience is the gospel. And so at an identity level, our sense of self is, although I should have been excluded on the basis of my sin, God, instead of exiling me, has accepted me, not on the basis of my own efforts, and my own righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Although I am not perfect, I am ridiculously loved. Always accepted by God because of Christ's work for me. I have an identity which I've received from God who is perfect that is not dependent on my perfection, which means I have a concrete sense of acceptance and therefore security and belonging in life. It's not fickle. It's not a fickle security and belonging because it's not based on whether or not I measure up. It's based on whether or not Christ measures up and he always measures up. Which means I'm living in this life from God's approval, not for God's approval. Just stop and wrap your brain around that for a second. In a world of deficit that has given birth to the meritocracy that you and I live in in this society, of progress and making and prove yourself and just climb above so that you can justify your existence as a human being on this planet, you and I as common grinders in South Penn, we live from already accepted, secure, 
You could never be more secure than, than, than anyone who really believes the Christian gospel to the core of their being. You are loved. You are accepted. Now live from that position and then live out. We have a gospel identity as children of God. 1 John 1 verse 3. So 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You're a child of God first. You're a child of God first. Then you're a manager, business owner, Cleaner, designer, dealer. I have a friend who puts together corporate deals. And uh, he does it in a, a really, he does it incredibly well and puts together big corporate deals. And uh, he was explaining one day to, what my, to Jack, Jack, my son who's seven, what he does. He puts together deals. So Jack says to him, oh, so are you a dealer? <laughs> oh, well, just roll with it, hey? Uh, you're a child of God before you're a dealer. You're a child of God before your life rolls. You're a child of God before you're a mother, before you're a father, before you're a woman, before you're a man. You're a child of God before you're a white man. You're a child of God before you're a black woman or a colored man. It doesn't just change how you view yourself primarily, your identity. It changes how you view others. That that, that person's a brother before they're a poor person. They're a sister before they're a white person or a black person. This fundamentally, when this becomes not just what you believe, but when you believe it in the core of your being, so much so that it forms your identity, it changes how you see yourself. I'm accepted. I'm secure. I don't live from deficit, needing other human beings and relationships and successes, etc., to secure me and anchor me. No, I have that. Therefore, I can give rather than need But it also changes how I view other people because I can see them regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they're doing. I can see the innate um, uh, image of God in them. And so therefore they have an innate worth and dignity whether they agree with me or not. And so call out culture that says, uh, if you don't let me believe what I believe and want to live, I'll cancel you and shun you away all over our world. You can't, you can't do that in society because, because it falls down and breaks down. And you and I have a way of being able to see and differ with someone and yet not undermine their value and their worth. It's what makes Christians different in all of society. We're capable of loving even in the place of disagreement. We have an identity that makes all other identities in life secondary. And so even if you might fail to live up to your secondary identity, you will never fail to live up to God's because Christ did it on your behalf. Your primary identity is a child of God that will never change. You are eternally His. You have a gospel identity. You are defined by the gospel because you are loved and you are accepted as a child of God. Gospel defined. Different extraordinarily different than our culture. Third question, okay then, what does this mean for our lives? And and how should we live now? Third one, we're gospel aligned. And I'm gonna speak first to us at a church level and then to us as individuals. Because we're secure, because we're loved, because we're welcomed in, 
Uh, because we believe this gospel, we seek to align our lives, we seek to align our church, if you will, to the shape of the gospel. For, just try and follow the metaphor. To the shape, of, the gospel has a shape. We want to live in that shape. We want to live in that way. We want to be shaped by the truth of the gospel. We obey not to be accepted. We obey from our acceptance already. And so we don't start from deficit, we start from acceptance, and we live this out in our church. At a church level, we're gospel-defined. As a church, we're gospel-aligned in our shape, which means that everything we do as a church is aligned to the shape of the gospel. The gospel is like a pattern we want to shape ourselves in as a church. It shapes everything we do. It's the center. It means our singing and our worship. Worship won't alone be the center of the church, but our worship will center us around the truth of the gospel. Preaching will never become the center of our church. Hear me when I say worship, I mean singing worship. Preaching will never become the center of our church, but preaching should help us see the truth of the gospel better. Justice will never become the center of our church because we, we, we give ourselves rather to a gospel-shaped justice in our society. The way we live out our justice in our community should demonstrate the gospel. Our fellowship and community, it's tempting to make community the center of the church. No, we would never because community isn't the center of our church. The gospel is the center of our church, but the gospel shapes how we do community We love, we love selflessly. We love in such a way as to go and reach out to others when they're in need. We value others, we celebrate others, we receive one another because our community is also shaped by the gospel. We never stray from the gospel as a church. It's not just the elemental truth that we believe to get into the kingdom. No, it's not the springboard to dive into the pool. Or It is the springboard to dive into the pool, but it's also the water that we swim in. It's not like you believe the gospel and then you move on to other more meaty truths. No, the gospel truth is the very thing that week after week, day after day, shapes our human hearts so that ultimately our identity is rooted in it and then our lives are aligned to it as a church. Does that make sense? Lastly, on this point, at an individual level, we are aligning our lives to the shape of the gospel. We're aligning our lives to the shape of the gospel. Having had our identities redefined by the truth of the gospel, we are those in our community who seek to align align every part of our lives to the gospel. We orientate our lives around the gospel. We immerse ourselves in the gospel so that it becomes embedded in who we are and how we think, and it animates every facet of our lives. It shapes our relationships, how we relate to other people. It shapes our decision-making, where we live, how we live there, our priorities, to whom we give our time to, what we spend our money on. In other words, the gospel becomes the operating system, our rules of engagement for how we interact with our world. We are learning to embody the gospel in every facet in our life. We're learning to embody the gospel in our parenting. How do we parent our children? We learn to embody the gospel in our friendships. 
We're trying to embody the gospel in our workplace, in our husbanding. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, laying your life down so as to lift up another human being. Is that, that's the gospel. We live out the gospel in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of our lives. If I were to try and sum, I don't, let me, I'll, I'll do it in a second, but, but in our, in our, in our spouse, in our husbanding, in our wifing, etc., in our friendships, in our, how we are ch- children to our parents, we're just trying to live out the gospel. In our businesses, business owners, I want to challenge you. We prayed for you in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We, took, we stopped and we prayed for business owners present and in our church community. Our, I think our businesses are areas of life too where we want to say, what does it look like to put the gospel at the center of how I do my business life? And how does that transform this part so as Christ's kingdom can come in and through my business on earth? This is vital to who we are and how we live. If I were to try and sum it up, it would look like this. At every crisis... Or at every juncture in your life, you ask this question, what does it mean to put the gospel at the center of this thing, of this crisis, of this decision, of this relationship? What does it look like to put the gospel at the center of this? I don't know what you're facing. How does the gospel inform this? Should I forgive? Should I not forgive? Should I love? Should I not love? Should I be generous? Should I not be generous? How do I love my spouse? How do I love my friend? How do I love my struggling child? How do I love my colleague? Like God loved me in the gospel. It becomes the pattern. It's it's the, lots of metaphors I know, but it's the operating system that we as Christ followers live out in our day-to-day lives. But it is countercultural, and it is different than the gospel of good works, and it is different than the gospel of self-fulfillment and the good life. And so you and I need to work hard to establish this identity in our heart. It, it's, why just, it's why we need to be at home. Just, it's why we need to be consistent in our gathering. It's why we need to be consistent in our daily scripture reading. It's why we need to give ourselves to this, because culture is not neutral, and it is shaping you with these versions of the truth all the time. And so we, as Christians, as Common Ground in South Penn, or those in our community who've said we are to be in God for the sake of the world, we, we anchor ourselves in this truth so this, is, this becomes the operating system of our lives so that when we walk out into our society, we, we, we embody the gospel in our world. That is what we do as Christ followers. How do I live in my community that's racially divided? Well, what does it look like to put the gospel at the center of your life? How does that inform your decision there? How do I live in a world that's so uneven economically? Where do we, where do we take our answers from? What does it look like to put the gospel at the center of my life? Do I seek the good life or do I ask, what does it look like to live the gospel out in my road? This is what... Otherwise, we're just like everybody else. This is what distinguishes us as a people. Do I see my business as God's provision for me and mine and my family? Or do I see it as a means to bring God's kingdom reign to the world in which he's placed me? And if you don't grapple with these truths, fruitfulness will be lost from your life, man. And I... 
I, I want to contend for lives that make an impact, for lives that make change in our world. We are those who seek to manifest the gospel everywhere we go, every moment of our lives. This is the gospel-centered life. We try to do it as a church, and we try and do it as individuals when we're scattered. We do it gathered as a church. We do it scattered in our world. We're gospel-aligned. We're, we're gospel-defined. We're gospel-aligned. And last one as we come into land, we're gospel-assigned. For we are God's workmanship, verse 10 of Ephesians that we read uh, Ephesians 2, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I've already been touching on this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only do we have an identity, but we have a purpose in life as well. To align our lives to the gospel, to live that out in our world. And you know what? Also to preach the gospel. In an age where preaching the gospel is it's scary, it seems like there's a lot of pressure to not, to rather just be quiet, to rather just try and live a quiet, good life in the name of Jesus and not actually preach. No, if our world is genuinely lost, the Bible teaches us, how can they believe if they are in a God of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if nobody preaches to them? And we, not the pastors, not the leaders, we are... As we are all missionaries in this church community, every single one of us deployed as Jesus commissions us to make disciples in our culture and to extend his kingdom on earth. We're not just called to man the fort until he comes back to fetch us. We're called to go out into our world and to preach the gospel. We can confidently say to the question, what is my purpose on earth? Every single common grounder here can say, what... What is your purpose on earth? You can confidently answer this. To make disciples and to bring God's kingdom to every sector of society and every part of the world. You have a purpose. Last word, give it to John Ortberg. John Ortberg says this. Jesus, Jesus' gospel contrasts two ways of thinking. The more common version is thought to involve how people ensure they will go to heaven when they die. It's about how to go from down here to up there. The other understanding is the, of the gospel announces the availability of life of God's reign and power now. It's about up there coming down here. And how that happens is through your life and my life as common grounders as we step into that place and trust that God will walk through us. We're going to share communion now. It's been a long time. It's time to remember who we are. It's time to step into the fullness of who we are. Um, I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen, to be honest. I know that pretty soon, grape juice is going to appear, <laughs> miraculously. But you already have got your wafers from when you came in. Is that correct? If you don't, more wafers will miraculously appear. And uh, then you will have yours. So, yeah, we're trying to do this in COVID-wise ways, um, obviously. We are gospel defined, not the gospel of good works. Not the gospel of good works. How are you doing there? While, while these elements of communion make their way around, while the band make their way up to the front, let me just ask us a few questions applying this. There we go. Here it comes. It's on its way. Um, hey, has the gospel of good works crept into your heart? Has God rejected you on the basis of what you've done? You think God could never love me. 
Oh no, it's not about what you've done. You're accepted not on the basis of what you've done. You're accepted because of what Christ has done. The question is, can you shift your weight and the allegiance of your, 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 your being and your belief from my life to Christ's life on my behalf? It's faith. How about the gospel of the good life, guys? This one's very close to home for us. Are you living for Christ and his kingdom? Or are you living for you and your kingdom? Independence and autonomy and success and safety. And or has your life been swept up in Christ's life and Christ's mission? We are his image bearers in our world. In this meal, we remember Christ's body that was broken for us. He endured the worst of everything that we, in a sense, incurred upon ourselves through our sin and through our failure to live up to God's perfect standard. Every one of us. Yet, Christ died for us and took our place. And that his body was broken in order that we who are broken could be made whole. This is a meal where we remember that we are alive because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. And that is the most vital connection in our lives. And so that's why we eat, because we, we, we're mindful, we're taking into ourselves that which Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we're forsaking our own efforts and our own brokenness as we receive Christ's wholeness. Can we stand together as I invite the band to kind of just make some music in the background? I'll lead us in song and then we'll hand over to you guys. Jesus, while, while we were dead in our trespasses, while I was still a sinner, you saw me and you became a man. You became a human being. You walked the earth. And you lived a perfect sinless life. And then you exchanged my fallen life for your perfect life. And you took death in order that I would get life. I, could, I had no option. I could not save myself. My hands were so dirty I couldn't clean my own heart. And yet you, with clean hands, purify my heart. Jesus, as we as common grinders in South Penn celebrate communion, our communion and union with you, I pray that we would, as we freshly, in a sense, remind ourselves of how our life comes from you and your life. Jesus, would you cause that theme from worship, the things that we've taken into us, the beliefs, the, where we've got fuzzy and blurry around the gospel, the parts of us that don't belong, parts of our thinking that don't belong, Jesus, would you consume them as, as we take these elements? Jesus, purify our hearts. Bring life to our beings, Jesus. Center us and align us to the gospel truth. Bring conviction to our hearts, Jesus. 
courage to us as you freshly call us, we pray. Since the band leads us in song, feel free to do business with Jesus as you respond to him in faith through the blood of Christ and his body shed and broken for you, for your wholeness through his gospel.